Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the Cozy Corner Book Club with your hosts, Sean and Lindsay. Sean and I have been best friends for over 15 years, and we spent that time dreaming up books to write, houses to build, banana bars to open, I mean, the list just goes on and on. So last year, we decided to start a blog of our own, Sean and Lindsay's Best Friend's Guide to Everything. On the blog, you can find recaps of your favorite film franchises, meal prep recipes, travel guides, our best adulting tips, and so much more. Check it out at bfguidetoeverything.com. In addition to our blog, we started the Cozy Corner Book Club and Podcast. Read along with us and then find us on Facebook and Instagram for our weekly discussion questions. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Cozy Corner Book Club, and you've got Lindsay and Sean here. This month we read The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. This is the prequel to the best-selling Hunger Games trilogy. So because this is a prequel to a series that's already complete, our spoiler policy is going to be a little bit different than normal. This episode, we will be talking about all four books in the series, about The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and about all three of the Hunger Games books. It's really hard to just talk about the prequel and not compare to what we know happens in the trilogy, so sorry if you haven't read all of them, but we're going to talk about them all. We will also be bringing up the movie adaptations as well towards the end of our discussion. And so now we will begin with a brief summary. Coriolanus Snow, aka President Snow from the Hunger Games trilogy, is chosen to mentor a tribute in the upcoming 10th Hunger Games. Snow must hide the secret of his family's poverty while mentoring a winning tribute in order to secure a scholarship to the university in the capital. Snow is assigned to Lucy Gray Baird from District 12. Due to the mentoring changes, Snow meets a lot of obstacles preparing Lucy for the games. His real assignment comes from Dr. Gall, a scientist and head game maker, to improve the games by keeping them relevant and alive. Snow and his classmate Sejanus it try to feed the tributes, and as other classmates do the same, one of the other mentors is killed by a tribute. Snow finishes a group paper and witnesses Dr. Gall allow another classmate to be attacked by an artificially enhanced snake for lying about helping on the group paper. The surviving mentors take the tributes to tour the arena. But when they are there, undetected bombs from the Dark Days, a.k.a. the wartime era, explode, killing several tributes and the mentors. The handful of survivors then prepare for live interviews, another first for the Hunger Games. Lucy ends up being the star after performing a ballad, get it? Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? For a, <laughs> <laughs> for a former lover back home. Uh, Dr. Gall takes a few of Snow's suggestions from the paper about improving the games, the most important of which is by allowing the audience to participate by donating money that can be used by the mentors to send food and water to the tributes. After the first day, Snow is ordered to enter the arena in order to get Sejanus out, who sneaked in wanting to be killed as a martyr. Later, Snow learns that the snakes engineered by Dr. Gall will be released into the arena, so he takes a handkerchief used by Lucy and drops it into the snake tank in order to familiarize her scent with safety. As a result, she is declared the winner due to surviving the snakes and taking out other tributes with poison. 
Snow is then punished for cheating, and in order to avoid punishment and public humiliation, enlists himself as a peacekeeper for District 12. Sejanus also joins as a peacekeeper, and the two carry out their duties, including capturing Jabber Jays and Mocking Jays for observation. He is able to reunite with Lucy Gray now that she is back home with her performing troupe, the Covey. Snow finds out that Sejanus is giving privileged information to the rebels in District 12, so he sends a secret message to the Capitol and confronts him. This results in several deaths when the groups interact during a concert. Lucy and Snow plan to run away and go north in order to escape being involved in the murders. As he leaves the Peacekeeper compound, he is told by the commander that he passed the officer's test and will be leaving the next day for an elite training school. Uh, Conflicted, he meets Lucy in the woods. The two talk and find a house where the rebels left weapons. Lucy subtly leaves under the pretense of looking for food and then runs to safety. As the two realize that after Snow destroys the weapons, there's nothing compromising the future he wants except for her as a witness. Snow pursues her and is attacked by one of her snakes, and in a fury attempts to kill her, but is unable to determine if he was successful. Back at the compound, he is treated for a snake bite and sent on the train to his new future. Snow is shocked when he is taken to the capital and not to the training school and is greeted by Dr. Gall. Dr. Gall reveals that her plan was for him just to be a peacekeeper for the summer, to learn about the districts and why the Hunger Games are needed. He is given an honorary discharge from the peacekeepers and enrolled in the university under the tutelage of Dr. Gall. In the epilogue, we learn of the many ideas Snow incorporated in the Hunger Games during his career, and he is named the heir of the Plinth Fortune due to his quote-unquote friend, Sejanus's death. Okay. So that is our summary, y'all. Knee-jerk reaction. Did you like it? Knee-jerk reaction. Yes, I loved it. <laughs> like, I, I was surprised at how much I was I liked it. I thought it yeah, I mean, we're going to go into these questions later, but I thought I was, I didn't think I was going to like it. And then I was really surprised by the point she was trying to get across. So what were, what was your knee-jerk reaction? I didn't like it. <laughs> I hate to say that because I love the other three. And I actually reread those three right before reading this one just because I wanted to, you know get back into the universe and the Hunger Games. And I'm glad I did because there were a lot of references in this book to the original trilogy, but and just connections I may not have made otherwise. So, but I just, this one just didn't feel the same. And I get that it wasn't because obviously this is how many years, 50, 60 years before the, you know, before Katniss and Peeta and that whole storyline. But I just couldn't get into it. I was bored, to be honest. Bored and confused. That is, like, (laughs) the only way I can explain my overall feeling towards this book. Okay, so pulling off of that, uh, how did you feel about the reveal that the narrator of the book is Coriolandis Snow? I will say I was concerned (laughs) when I first heard this. Um, I heard it, I guess, right after they announced the book, you know, I went and looked into it and saw that it was I saw about Coriolanus I don't remember seeing the word snow and so I was just like okay random kid cool we'll learn about someone new 
And then someone else mentioned, like, oh, yeah, this is snow. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, President Snow? <laughs> and uh, I'm all for a villain origin story. I think they can be really compelling. But as we know from the trilogy, Snow is it's just an awful human being. I mean, he's a dictator. He has zero conscience. And I, I really was just worried on... Like, it, was she going to make us try and empathize with him? Were we trying to kind of justify some of his actions later on because of his life growing up? You know, that was kind of my fear going into the book. What about you? Uh, that was my total knee-jerk reaction with this, is I don't want, want to like this guy. Right. Because we knew how he ends up. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I think you kind of said everything about, like, my initial impression. So, as far as Snow's character development, do you feel like she did a good job of making empathize with him? Or, like, what did you think of his character arc? I think she did an amazing job. Just point blank. Because what she did is she wanted us to hate him. That's what her goal was. She wanted you to, and I just, I loved it. Because you're reading the book and you're like, okay, he's poor. Like, he is poor. Like, pretending not to be. His family, who used to be this, like, big family, has dwindled down to, like, three people. I mean, he is no longer, you know, part of high, really a part of high society. He just pretends to be a part of it. And so you kind of sit there and you go, and you hear about, like, some of the stuff that went on during the recovering post-war, which we'll talk about. But I'm just kind of like, she wants you to connect with him. You know, he's a, a student who wants to continue going to school. He's ambitious. He wants to make a future for himself. You know, he wants to restore the family honor. You know, you know, a lot of these things are tropes that we know about from so many other movies, books, and shows. So it's easy to connect. But I don't think anyone immediately empathized with him. Like, you, it was kind of like he kind of, you, you understood him, kind of, but you were always kind of like holding back. And then finally, when he starts, you know, pulling his, you know, crap, you're like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yes, I called it. But it's like, you already knew. Of course you knew. Because um, <laughs> we know how to <laughs> I mean, we did. But it was just, it was very interesting the way that she you know, handled him, you know, he, and kind of see how the way his behavior goes later to him, you know, he loved Lucy, but once again, he only knew Lucy for Did like 10 days. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and immediately he's like, no, that's my woman. And I'm like, Dude, <laughs> only because someone else wanted her. <laughs> like, he's just, I don't know. He's a narcissist, which was no surprise because obviously we know how he ends up later on. But but once I, again, this is like perfect because it shows the fact that he mistakes attraction with what he can get from someone. Yeah. You know, he saw this. You know, you know this young woman performing and how everyone was mesmerized by her, and that's what he wanted. He wanted a part of that mesmerizing charisma and so what did he do he tried to conquer it kind of how he does in you know the other books where you know you know he conquers Finnick's good looks and basically you know pimps him out uh that made me so angry by the way on my re like when i reread this 
I don't remember that from the first time reading it through. I mean, I read it when they came out back in, what, 2010, like that mm-hmm. couple years. And I, I think I even called you when I read, got to that part in, I think it's in Mockingjay. And I was like, yeah, I you don't were remember livid. this. I was so angry for Finnick. Ugh. But I mean, this is like an another, like an instance of, you know, somebody has something he wants. He finds it desirable. And, you know, in this case, he's like, oh, I desire you. Not realizing it's the quality he desires. And but now as a grown-up, he knows the qualities he's desiring and how he can exploit them. So I, it was interesting to see how he failed the first time. Um, but in terms of development, you got to see where... It, it was interesting that they went back to District 12. I was surprised that they did that. But to have him connect with the people and then go back to the capital with these new ideas on how, you know, nor- district lives are. Because the only person, like, in the capital that we know of who can really, you know, talk about this would be Sejanus, who himself is just lucky he's not part of the Hunger Games and is not eligible for it because he became a capital citizen. Yeah, he's actually because from of his- district, too. Yeah, so, I mean, for him, you know, he's the only person who can give insight into the, how the districts work. And, of course, he's completely against the Hunger Games. So, to have a character from the capital going to the districts and coming back in a position of leadership, in a position where he's, you know, working with the game makers, with the head game maker, I thought it was interesting. And, you know, as they talked about at the end, his ideas sparked the changes to the the Hunger Games we know of. Because the Hunger Games in here was very arcane, which I know we'll get into. Yeah. For me, as far as Snow's character development, I noticed the same, like, back and forth. Like, he'd start to do the right thing, and then you'd realize, oh, he had an angle behind it. Or, like, it, everything had a flip side. It wasn't ever just to be kind or... You know, it always had some kind of a, something in it for him. Agenda, yeah. Right. And, but for me, I guess I didn't read it as her trying to make us hate him through that. I read it as her kind of flip-flopping back and forth because he would do, like, something, you know, you'd, like, see him and Lucy Gray and they're this budding kind of romance and you'd be like, oh, okay, are we supposed to root for them? Maybe? I don't know. And then he'd do something awful and I'd be like, oh, well, I don't know anymore, you know? So I can see what you're saying, but that's just not how I read it as far yeah, as and, like... It and I knew that immediately from when you said, oh, I hated it. What do you think? And I said, I liked it. And you're like, <laughs> how? And it's just because I read it from a different perspective. I read it as this isn't necessary. I mean, it's yeah, it's part of his origin story, but in a in the greater picture... What this book is accomplishing is it's the origin story of the Hunger Games itself. Yeah. And I that was probably the only interesting part about it, to be honest, <laughs> for me at least, was seeing where they were and how they came up with some of the ideas that we see later on in the, you know, the Hunger Games that Katniss and Peter are in. But to also see it without the pageantry when, you know, it's right after the war, they're doing it. But even the capital citizens are like, why are we watching this? You know, like they don't feel good about it. Just so to see, you know, to me, that seems very rational. Like, why would you want to watch children 
teenagers murdering each other. And to see, like, where they were, where most of the capital citizens didn't want anything to do with it, to where, you know, it is, where it's now, like, a it's national holiday. It's the event of the year. To, to see that, see where it was before, and, and to see, okay, this is how they kind of started bringing people in. Even though this is only under, you know, through one games, but just by making a few small changes, people started interacting more. And you're just sitting there like, so that's how they made this into the event of the year. Every year trying to do some small little bit to make it a production, to make it a show. Yeah, as far as the two different types of Hunger Games, um, like what differences between the two really surprised you? And to kind of preface, the Hunger Games in this book is essentially just they throw a bunch of uh, district kids into an arena with nothing no food no water no shelter they just fend for themselves there is like you said none of the pageantry that we come to know in the later ga- the later books it's literally just fight to the death <laughs> and that's even if they survive to the arena yeah i and mean so... they have them literally caged for weeks with no food no water like the Coriolanus and his classmates the, this is the first year that there's mentors, and so they are the mentors as like their senior project, basically. And they specific, yeah, they wanted students to be around their age because they thought that'd be the most helpful. Yeah, so they're literally like coming up with food to give them so that they can even make it into the arena because <laughs> not everyone even makes it that far. And I mean, they 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 call. Well, the thing is, is they called the cages after they transported them there. They called it the zoo. Yeah, I think it literally was a zoo. <laughs> Maybe. But, I mean, they called it the zoo. And so they basically had a special part of the zoo or whatever with a bunch of cages of children right before they have the tournament. And, I mean, I that was appalling. But you, but you know what? Like, that's part of the reason I liked this book was because it was supposed to be appalling. You weren't, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that you're not supposed to like it. And, you know, like when you have Katniss and Peeta going, they were on like a bullet train and it was like a luxury, you know, a luxury train. And it was like you could have as much food as you want. There were, you know, they did everything in order to protect the tributes. You know, they had barriers to prevent them from killing themselves. Their reason behind that, This is before that. that. They didn't care. They don't, yeah, they don't care about the the actual um, tributes like they all they cared about was their show and their viewership and so honestly I don't know which is worse the Hunger Games here where it's just so primal and survival of the fittest they don't they don't care if they make yourself, it in and... or what we see later on where yeah they're given all the tools but they are built to kill each other and it's this whole show that people get really into not that the people in the districts are watching this for fun you know like for the most part it's just the capital <laughs> but and barely them yeah. and that's the thing is like in the watching this very archaic hunger games going on honestly as gruesome as it is it's not as bad yeah i mean i hate to say it like that but i mean most of the capital can't even stomach it they're kind of like borderline against it it's not just a nobody true game is... either you yeah. know, like later on, it's just we, a bunch of kids thrown in there. 
who lives longest. Yeah, I mean, they all just, like, go find a spot to hide, and maybe one of them comes out there and tries to kill some people. You know, it doesn't have the the extra quality of let's make this fun and let's um like mess with their minds like the the Mm -hmm. whole psychological aspect of it that the later hunger games have well well also the a major difference is there's no reward for the victor other than going back home i think there were Um, fancy houses weren't there or was that that was in that was something that happened later so in this version of the hunger games if you won, you just got to go back home. But in the hunger, you know, the main trilogy, you know, years, years later, if you won, you got your own house on was it Victor's Village. Mm-hmm. You got everything paid for. You, you know, you were held up as a symbol of, you know, this is what happens when you win the Hunger Games. To try to make to add pageantry to it, to try to make it seem like the district. You know the the member the district citizens had a reason to want to be involved. You know they you know they could pull them out of poverty. And so to see like that you know that difference, I'm like you know back then it was just I mean as bad as it is they're throwing a bunch of kids in there and just letting them die. But also the new one is full of so much pageantry where they're okay they're, yeah a lot of these kids are eating. And getting, you know, to the point of being full for the first time in their lives. It's like fattening but also up a pig being, for slaughter. Yeah. And I mean, and then they dress it up and, you know, you know, make up on a pig. Like, they're fattening it, you know, making it look nice. And then just say, okay, now run. Go in there. Do something. Give us a show. Make it a performance. Because, you know, even in the trilogy... Everything was a performance from what scores you got when you were doing your training to what, you know, what you said during the interviews to how you conducted yourself in the arena. It was all a performance. This one, it wasn't a performance. There was no acting. It was just a, oh, she sang a nice song. Let me send her some money. You know, there was, I mean, she was the one that connected the most with people. I will say this one, like, the Hunger Games in this book felt more like a a true punishment for what had happened true. than the later ones do. Not the I mean, obviously the same thing is happening in the end. You know, it's a bunch of kids fighting to the death, but that one is felt more like a show. Like you said, it's all just a performance, and so it's less punishment and more just entertainment at that point. Because that's when they let, I mean, in this one, it was punishment. They threw the snakes in there expecting to kill them all. Because they're like, we don't really need a winner. We just need to continue punishing them. Showing them that they owe us for the war. And, you know, it to me, that as that's gruesome. I, I mean, I don't know which one's worse. Now that we're talking about it, going back and forth. <laughs> both pretty awful. <laughs> um. Poverty is a huge part of the Hunger Games series, both the trilogy and this book. But with this book, we got to see poverty in the capital. And, you know, with them recovering after the war. Um, what did you think from that? I thought that was really interesting to think about um, because we really just associate the capital with overindulgence and spending money just for the fun of it and on 
completely unnecessary thing. You know, we just, I associate the Capitol with just being frivolous with anything and everything. And I mean, at the PETA and Katniss go to a party in the Capitol one night and they're literally told to eat as much as they can and then go drink this that will make them throw it all up so they can keep eating. And whereas Mm -hmm. back in their district, kids are starving to death. And so seeing that kind of poverty in the Capitol, I thought was really interesting. They still hold on to the idea like they feel like they have to pretend like they're not in poverty, even when they are. The Snows in particular, not the entire capital is not in poverty from what I remember. But No, um the Snows were because most of their investments were in the you know, the district thirteen infra- industry. Mm, right. And because that industry went away, all their money went away. Right. Yeah, so they're but they're just pretending like nothing's wrong. So they're, you know, Coriolanus is going to school and they're just, I don't know. It's so fake. You know what I mean? It, yeah. I mean, but thing is, is like what really like got me was the fact that there was specifically a classmate who he knew had a reputation that their family had cannibalized people during yeah. the war. And I was just like, wow. That's how desperate they got, yeah, in the capital. Like, I don't remember hearing about that in the trilogy. Yeah. I don't think it got to that point in the districts. At least it wasn't written. Um, But, yeah. But also, the people in the districts were used to going without, you know? So it wasn't as stark a difference for them. They weren't going from eating so much that they threw it up and then ate again to not having anything to eat they were already not having a ton to eat and then just had less you know so they were the same with the hungry she like they katniss was more adept at handling hunger because she'd actually been through it before so that could be why they in the capital were a little quicker to resort to that kind of desperation but Mm -hmm. one thing that stuck out to me and probably the thing that beyond anything else really like cemented my okay he is evil (laughs) Coriolanus like just that this is what did it was he betrays his quote-unquote friend Sejanus like and Sejanus ends up dying because of this and then Coriolanus has the audacity to like Sejanus's parents basically offer to adopt him as their son because theirs is gone now and he takes him up on it he got their son killed but because they're rich he just worms his way into their family and now he's rich again from his friend's family (laughs) what well first off throughout the whole series he keeps denying that they're friends yeah he he never was a friend he wasn't a friend to anybody he was the son that the dad had wanted yeah yeah, so Janus the, was compassionate and kind and cared about other people, and he didn't approve of the Hunger Games, and, you know, Coriolanus was not that. <laughs> he was the businessman that Mr. Plinth wanted. He was son. the only one in, like, his whole class that knew the whole anthem. Like, I mean, he was a patron, like, in, in the eyes of, you know, uh, what's his name? So Janus's parents, he was a patriot. Yeah. You know, oh, he went to, 
he went to go be a peacekeeper. Well, I'll just send my son because, you know, I want to, you know, get, you know, hide from shame as well. Like, they just kept throwing, or the dad at least, kept throwing his son away. Yeah. Speaking of Coriolanus' family, though, what did you think about Tigris being his cousin? Honestly, that was like a huge bombshell for me. Yeah, and I feel like they didn't go anywhere with it. I was so upset. Well, no, they did. Because in the original trilogy, they said that Tigris was a, you know, was like Cinna. She was a designer. She was, you know, she helped make, you know, tributes presentable and put them on the stage. And I was like, okay. So when we met Tigris, and and also Tigris kind of helped take down the capital during, you know. I mean, she was harboring fugitives, like the rebellion. she, She was, and she just did it. So, I mean, I just sat here and I was just like, like, part of me is like, does Snow betray her? Well, in, I think it's in Mockingjay that she's harboring them, and she's almost not going to do it until Katniss says, I'm going to kill Snow. And then she's like, all right, you can hide here. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. is, it is addressed. Like, she hates Snow. But I don't feel like this book explained why, you know? Like, well, it kind of did at the end, but I didn't think it was enough. The she entire was... ending of this book is, I, I don't understand <laughs> It, it went a little fast. It, like, skipped fast a lot of. and was just very... I don't even know. It didn't make any sense. Well, Tigris was removed as a designer because of the alteration she was making on her body. So, I mean, in the capital, even during the time of the trilogy, they the people made alterations to, the, to themselves because they just wanted to. Like, physical alterations... You know, beyond tattoo, they would dye their skin, their hair. They would do all these things to be to display their inner selves. And Tigris started doing things to look like a tiger. And Snow didn't want to be associated with that, so he got her removed from her position and basically put her into I don't want to say an exile, but he did basically Put her into well, like, like a blacklisted her essentially, yeah. Like where she couldn't work where she wants her anymore. But at what point is that actually flushed out, or is this just all assumption? You know, like we know that no, something it, happened they, and they she's did... not a designer anymore, but we don't ever actually see what happened between the two of them. They were really yeah. close growing up. They were close in this book, and then, but all we know is they went from being close and actual family to she is you know harboring the person who says she's gonna kill him <laughs> you know that's just a yeah we didn't get jump. to see the scene but we know it happens i guess that's what i'm missing though is there were a lot of loose ends to this a lot of things that went unexplained which i don't feel like should happen in a prequel like it should be tying together what you're reading with what you know is going to happen unless there's going to be another book after this before the next ones but i don't think that's going to happen well, you have to remember, the time, there's a lot of... I mean, you can't just wrap up everything in this particular book because there's like a 50-plus year difference between when this book occurs to when the beginning of the trilogy starts. So that's a long time for things to happen. So maybe she'll go back and maybe she'll sit there and go, hey, you know what? I really liked the idea of writing a, you know one of the quarter quells. 
Maybe she'll revisit one of those Hunger Games and write a short novella. But there's so much time that's, you know, going by that you can't just wrap up all the loose ends or else what happened during that 50 years? Nothing? They just sat on their hands? But the ends that tie the two stories together, those I think should have been wrapped up. Like, you can leave some loose ends that were things that you introduced in this story that don't come to play later on, you know? But things like his relationship with Tigress and Lucy Baird and those kinds of things, I think, should have been addressed. Unless, like, why have a cliffhanger after a prequel, you know? Like, I just, I don't know. That that may be a hint that there's more to come. I don't want more to come, though. I just wanted her to explain it now and be but, done. But don't you want to read about how Joanna wins? I mean, that or would even be cool. better. What would be no? Actually, even better than Joanna, Mags, because we only get to see Mags as like this elderly woman who was a victor of the games. I mean, that would be pretty cool. You know what I think would have how... been a more compelling story than this, like a more compelling main character. I want to see how Hamish. Like, we know how he won, but I want to actually see that entire, that, just that story, you know? Like, him growing up, him winning the games, him starting to mentor people. That's the story I want. I want to learn more about Hamish. I understand that, but honestly, I would rather read about a victor from another district. Yeah. Because we spent so much time in District 12 that I would rather read more about, uh, well, Finnick is kind of dark for what happens after his games i don't know if i really could you know honestly i don't think i would want to read about what happens to him after he wins his game uh i think that'd be very very depressing agreed uh but for like others like annie mags also from that same district uh joanna uh i mean there's you know bt virus like they're i mean those are just victors that we know of you know from the you you know, I want to say current day, but, you know, from the the trilogy. But, I mean, there are so many other victors that we could, you know, hear their stories uh, that are from different districts. Um, because, you know, the only ones we've kind of seen win are the underdogs. You know, the District 12s, who are basically always counted out. Why don't we go into somewhere where it's like, District 5 or 6, where there are possibly career t- tributes. People who train for the Hunger Games and want to be a part of it. You know, let's see what, you know, what, what happened there to make them want to be a part of this. So, we've talked about this being a prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy. Do you generally like prequels, or do you prefer the authors just, like, leave well enough alone with whenever they finish their story? I love origin stories, <laughs> point blank. Uh, Half-Blood Prince is one of my favorites because you get to find out everything about Voldemort. Like, it's I mean, you really prequel, do. It's not though. It's just an origin story. No, no, Let's but I'm saying, that. I'm saying, but I like origin stories. I like knowing how things happen. Because let's be real. Here, I got you right here. The prequel trilogy to Star Wars. That is an origin story. Now I know some people, you know, throw some hate on it. I mean, and Lindsay and I have talked about this before, right? (laughs) I hate sand. 
<laughs> but um not like okay. your skin though so soft <laughs> <laughs> okay so the writing may not have been like Poor great <laughs> come on bro <laughs> <laughs> may not have been perfect but the story itself was good like it's about the rise of evil and this one was too um well, i mean there's just I like being able to dive deep into a character. And that's something you can't always do with a lot of stories. Um, so be, to be able to even, even Snow, to kind of go back and see him kind of in his youth, to always be like, okay, so he's always been an ambitious guy. He's always had an agenda for every you know everything he does. He uses and exploits people, even his relatives. Even if it's not to the same degree as other people, he, he does exploit them. And, you know, people assume he has connections with other people. And he's like, sure, when it con- is convenient. And then denies it when it's not. I mean, you see that he's always been this person. And you get to see, you know, part of the development of this era and how that shapes all of the events to come. I like that. I like being able to see that and, like, really connect with that. I mean... I don't know. It, it's the perspective, and you know, going back to a different time, and seeing how things work in the, you know, the the history of that universe. I mean, I thought it was cool. I like it. I love origins. I I don't mind prequels. I always give them a chance because typically you learn things, and un- you learn things that you never knew before. Another good example, unfortunately, Harry Potter related. <laughs> um, the Crimes of Grindelwald series. Yeah. Um, or is it the crime? No, it's Fantastic Beasts series. <laughs> Either way, well, those books, <laughs> I know what movies, <laughs> movies, movies, movies. Sorry, JK. But just in general, um, Grindelwald, his story. <laughs> but I mean, like, okay, you're reading. Oh, spoiler alert for Harry Potter. <laughs> so if you want to, if I'm about what I'm about to say, if you want to skip like two minutes, I, I promise it'll be quick. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, we find out what an Obscurus is, and immediately anyone who's watched them, you know, read the books, not the movies, but read the books, immediately goes, oh my god, mm-hmm. Ariana Dumbledore was an Obscurus. Like, it connects so many things. Like, that's not the point we were supposed to get out of that movie. Like, we were supposed to see a tale about, you know wizards in a different country that it's more inner it was supposed to be international about the rise of evil well, it's essentially a like different the first evil war yeah like but then you get to see Voldemort. yeah but then you get to see this major bombshell that nobody saw coming nobody was like thinking about ariana that much they we all had our theories we all kind of knew what went down but then to actually be like oh this we is have a name for it now. Like we, like you said, we had an idea of what happened with her magic, but now we can actually put like a name to exactly what happened, and a visual to how dangerous she was. Right. So now that we can, you know, stop with the spoilers for <laughs> a whole another series. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like that's it, it. That's a prequel series, and it connects information that we didn't know about the world. So as long as it deepens the mythology of that said universe, I'm down with it. I also like origin stories, but 
it just has to be done well and the timing has to be right as well like with this to i know that you don't feel this way but to me it felt like a money grab it felt like oh my royalties from the hunger games were dwindling let me just throw another one out there to get some more money coming in and you're shaking your head no, and i know you no, don't agree <laughs> no i like, just i don't feel like it was about... well done i'm sorry <laughs> like and not just because i didn't like the character like i'm okay with unlikable characters i can do that but there were just so many things like she it felt like it was just meandering the whole time it had no real here's the you know your main plot it was just all side things it got really confusing it jumped around a lot there was a million new characters like how am i supposed to remember the names of every single mentor and every single tribute there were i mean in the future in the katniss and pita books it's they just talk about like oh yeah that's the the tribute from district four that's the one from five unless it's a main character they don't give it a name and this one I, well they do you just it's i not... needed like a character sheet next to me well i read it <laughs> trying to remember who was who it i just i i didn't love it and i'm sorry i just didn't it it felt I... unnecessary i don't feel like it added anything to the story like to the overall story that was worth trudging through this book to get. Like, it's not that it didn't add anything. It just wasn't worth it. I got to disagree. Just for the fact that the point of this book was to show how did they go from a, like, how do people go from, oh, let's just throw kids in an arena and kill themselves. How do people stomach that to the point of making it a giant pageant, a giant event? And this book was supposed to show that. It's supposed to show that people didn't like it and that they had to sit there. And that's what Dr. Gall did. Dr. Gall just showed up and said, well, what would you do to make this an event? What would you do to get, you know, if you thought about it in terms of viewership? And that's the, and that's what I saw here is that this See, wasn't that was about only the first snow. half of the book, though. The second half of the book doesn't even have anything to do with Hunger Games. That's, that's the point. It was the aftermath and what he learned. He learned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's Lindsay. You, you, you he I'm did sorry. learn. He learned, and he was like, "Well, the people in the districts don't watch the games either. They also have no incentive to want to participate. They have no, and so that's why he, you know, what his ideas that he started bringing in were, hey, people who participate, you know, the districts that win, they get more funding. They, you know, he starts doing these kind of things as." incentives for communities to reward the ones that put on the better show he starts putting you know putting into place hey how do we you know what what if we connect the hunger games with feeding the people as in hey if you put your name in a second time you get a little little extra stipend of food i mean to do stuff like that encourages the population to participate even if they don't want to because of the need for survival and I think that's that's something he wouldn't have known had he not gone to the district. He wouldn't have known about the poverty outside of the capital and how he can exploit it because he knows just exactly how desperate they are because he's in the same place when he's in the capital. He just happens to have the opportunity to, you know, win those scholarships to go to the university for free. He has the, you know, some opportunities from his name. 
So to have him sit there and go, I know how to really make them hurt. I know how to have control over this chaos. And to, to see that, like, that was significant. Because he needed that in order to go to Gaul and say, I know what cho- changes we need to make. And, and, and that ended up being how, uh, you know, he became a game maker. And becoming a game maker is what made him president. So it, w- it was a necessary stepping stone in education on how to manipulate a group of people rather than just individuals that he was used to. We'll, we'll just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> Which, and all out of all the reviews that I've read about this book, like people talking about how they felt about it, it's honestly 50-50. 50% are in your camp where they think it was really interesting, and then the other 50 are in my camp where we were just bored. I also think I mean, it was yes. too long for the story. Like it, it just it had a lot of fluff. It had things that felt like they went nowhere. And for a prequel, things should not be going nowhere. Like you, you have the ending done. You know, like the prequel should be easy. It's just connecting the dots. But there well, was a lot left unconnected. I I do think that hey, if she had another year or so, it could have been better. I do think that. What was the rush? Uh, I I don't know. I'm not her <laughs> publishing agent. I can't tell you that. But I do think if she had, if I I, I don't necessarily think she was rushed. And I think because I mean that's one of the things I was gonna note is that uh, as of April 2020, um, they've confirmed plans for a movie movie adaptation that is currently in development, um, and that the director, screen uh, scriptwriter, and several producers, including the author are returning after the success of the Hunger Games trilogy. I mean, even before the book came out, because this was April, is when they made the statement that they're already in development. They're working on it. But that means they were talking about this before. And so I'm thinking that this was probably pushed more so by the movie studio, who needed the source material out. And rather than going through the, you know, the fantastic beast you know kind of way where it was like hey let's you know instead of writing another book let's just go skip to the movie they did want to do a book because that's what fans like they you know fans haven't been a huge you know haven't really gone for the whole oh let's skip to the movie to expand the world they like the books yeah so she was i think they were trying to stay you know do something different which i like i like having the book and reading it and then comparing it to the movie i do find and so I just, I feel like, if anything, the film studio pushed it and was like, hey, you need to do it. But I, I think if she had another year or so to kind of fine-tune it, it would have been great. Because that's what I saw when I read this. I'm like, I see what she was trying to do. And that was interesting. It was fascinating. And, you know, kind of exciting, but also completely morbid. And I definitely was like, Sean, like, you should not be fascinated by this thought experiment. <laughs> but it, it kind of was like a writing prompt, like fan fiction. Like, you know, what were the first games like? They were, you know, they were like extremely low budget movies <laughs> <laughs> with terrible endings that nobody wanted to see. And so to see that, become, you know, go from such a terrible low budget event to something that is a complete, in- one event that's a complete year long industry. 
Because it's like, I mean, once we learn from Catching Fire, is once the victors win, they go home for a little while, and then they go on a victory tour through all the districts. And then they go back, just in time for the next one. So they're really, I mean, their entire lives from then on are just a rotating Hunger Games. Like, they might not be participating anymore, but they're either on tour or they're mentoring or they're they're doing something involving the Hunger Games for a good chunk of the year. And so, I mean, like, to see that low budget, low low production value, you know, to, to see it morph into this complete industry that's taken over all society, I found that so fascinating, especially in the times we are today with COVID. I mean... The entertainment industry is completely like falling apart at the seams. Yeah. And this is, and like the, you know, tourism industry is falling apart because people aren't able to go out. And it's just, you know, the content we have right now in terms of movies and stuff is what we're going to have to have. The only thing that's going to come out is stuff that's already in post production. Yeah. And then, so basically, we're going to have like a gap or so where either people are going to rush movies in to fill it up. Or we're not going to have new content for a while. And that's just because of the shock of what's going down. But these are crazy large industries that also started similarly. They were small things people didn't care about. And now they've taken over to being global phenomenon. Like I said, we'll agree to disagree. (laughs) One more point where I will be a pessimist and then we can, (laughs) then I'll be done. Songs in books. <laughs> I am not a fan. And I get that this was the ballad of songbirds and snakes, but there were entirely too many songs in this. There is one song in particular, and you know which one it is, the hanging tree one, that I I was glad that that was in there. Good. I'm about to be mad. <laughs> I was about to fight you and be like, Lindsay, like... If your jaw didn't drop from her singing the hanging tree and be and actually getting to learn how every part of it was made and what it was about, like See, that is the kind of dot connecting that I'm talking about. Like that's what the whole book should have been, is little revelations like that. And so that one I can appreciate, but mostly because I know the tune to it because I watched the movie, you know, like so when I read The Hanging Tree in the books the first time, I didn't love it then either. Like when I read it in the original trilogy, because I just, I, I need a tune. So either if you're going to put lyrics of some kind in a book, make it just like a poem. Don't, don't call it a song because it just throws me off. You know, then I'm reading it and trying to make it rhyme, trying to come up with a tune in my head and I just can't. So honestly, majority of the time that there is a song in a book, I just skip it. Like, I'll skip that whole page, whatever section it is. And this one had a lot of songs that just felt unnecessary. Like, she sings a song when she first gets um, chosen, I'm pretty sure. She sings a song in her interview. Her cubby sings several songs during a concert. Like, you can just tell us they're singing a song. You don't actually have to write it. <laughs> I don't... Well, in this one, there was significance to a lot of them. And uh, uh, in a, I feel ya. With a lot of books that I've read, songs, you know, just someone, oh, I'm going to perform a song and they actually write the lyrics down is so freaking corny. And it's just boring. Like, if it had a tune to it, okay, fine. I love music. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a huge music fan, but I need the actual music part to it, not just the words. 
But the thing is, is typically in other books, not this one, I'll, I will say, in other books, songs, when they write a song into a book story, it's significant. It is, it is there, and it's a big part of something, either through foreshadowing, uh, emotional revelations. Like, it is a big thing. It doesn't mean I have to like this it, one, <laughs> I don't know, but this one, it, the, the way the book was written, and, the, and part of the way that I think you perceived it is, it was all about how Snow responds to the song. Less so than her own, you know, it was more so, how does Snow respond? Oh, I'm jealous. Oh, I want her. Oh, she wrote about me. How sweet. You know what? <laughs> that's that. No, I can't even say that. Um, but you know what I mean. We don't have an explicit tag, Sean. <laughs> no, we don't. We can't do it. We can't do it. But you know what I want to say. I know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, and this one, I will agree. There were like a few too many songs more than a few but yeah <laughs> <laughs> a few too many but i loved the fact that we got to see the hanging tree and you know it they explained what the story was really about and you know the, from the hanging tree and then how it changed and then you know with each verse she added how it changed the meaning of the song to where i'm like no wonder it's like completely banned no wonder particularly, I'm sure later, Snow completely banned that song with, like, prison offense. Yeah. Because he hated her. And he, once but again, he another thing, very hated from mocking Lutz. Jays. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I did like seeing that kind of, I mean, we knew how it happened. Like, they do explain it in the later books. But actually seeing it in real time, like, the failure of the Jabber Jays and becoming the Mockingjays, I, that was fun. So, like, those kinds of things I enjoyed. But that was really it. Like, the the actual plot of this, I, I didn't enjoy. And the ending. Can we just talk about that for a minute? Which part of the ending? I'm still so, so confused. He went... Like, I, I get what happened, but he went from, let's run away, Lucy Gray. Like, I'm in love with you. We're going to have this wonderful life to in a split second trying to murder her <laughs> well he sits there and as they're walking around they're talking and she's like well you killed the guy to save me and he goes well i've only killed three people and so he kind of lets slip that you know he's the reason that sejanus is dead right and then because she knows that he killed in the arena she knows that he killed homeboy and now She's just sitting there like, who else did this guy kill? And didn't he say something then, about like my past self or something really lame yeah, like that? Yeah, <laughs> he was. But the thing is, it's like, she saw. Like, he sat there and at one point he, they mentioned that he was already, after like two hours, bitter and angry. Didn't want to be out there. Hated it. And so I'm sure she picked that up. And so when they saw the guns in that house, she's like... If he destroys these, the only thing keeping him from his old life is me. And so she sat there and went, is, you know, is this, is our relationship stronger than his ambition? And she was right to run. Well, yeah, but their whole relationship also was just so confusing. Like, he wanted her because of what she could give him. You know, she was popular. She had status. She had charisma, like you said earlier. But... 
was she ever actually into him? I couldn't tell. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he may it. not have he may not have held her against her will. But you know, the capital did. And he became, I think, a representative of that because you know, Stockholm syndrome is an abusive relationship. You know, he sits there and he's the he's the kind part of that abusive relationship. He's the part that gives her presence. The part that tells her how beautiful she is and how wonderful she is. The part that wants her to survive. So, I, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly Stockholm Syndrome. I'm not a psychologist or a therapist or any kind of ist. <laughs> um, but I think that's part of what happened. There, I, I'm thinking there was some sort of Stockholm Syndrome uh, or maybe some sort of she felt a, relation, a connection to him because he helped her save, his li- save her life. She honestly, um, the two of them were very similar. They're both hardcore Slytherins, like very ambitious, very cunning, very willing to do what needs to be done to get what they want. So I'm not convinced that she wasn't doing exactly the same thing he was. And she was, you know, she could have just been using him for what he could do for her, you know? Yeah. And then well, she for, saw for the her... signs and ran when she was supposed to, but I just. I wasn't, I didn't believe their relationship at any point in time from either of them. Honestly, I, I mean, I think he wanted a connection. I, I didn't see her really wanting one until later, until she, he was in District 12. And even then, it, to me, it felt fake. But then again, you know, she saw him as security, not necessarily as love, but as security. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know how I completely feel about it. Um, I mean, and I agree. I think they're both hardcore Slytherins. It's just they both were ambitious for different levels. He was ambitious for political power and, you know, wealth. And she was ambitious mostly because of survival and freedom and joy. I mean, I know that sound kind of different, but she took care of these, you know, kids as part of her group because all the adults were dead. I mean, she became the parent to all these kids. So she needed to survive and also she needed to do whatever it took to take care of them. Yeah. She just always had that, like, I don't know, the, the Coriolanus edge to her, I guess, even like while she was in the arena, you know, she was poisoning people left and right and didn't seem phased by it. She, which she just, later he becomes known for yeah, in, in terms of how he gains political power. I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I would have liked to see more about her than him, to be honest. She was a more interesting character in this than he was, I felt like. But mm-hmm. she was not very well fleshed out. And we don't really know what happened to her. I mean, he, exactly. he thinks That's he ambiguous. shot her. She may be He's dead, not she sure. may not. He doesn't know. We never hear from her again. So what do you think about the theories that she is actually President Coyne? From the trilogy. Had you heard that? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, you don't think so? I do not think she's President Coin. Why not? For one reason. Why? If she was President Coin, she would have made a point to have like, you know, during the fine you know, during the last battles or something like that, during the communications, just to taunt Snow, she would have said her name. Just to taunt him. I mean, but she, well, in the movies, at least, because I watched the movies pretty recently, 
like she's on some broadcast, at least a couple of broadcast that he sees. Yeah. So he's seen her face. Like he would know it's her, whether she said her actual name or not. But I mean, I feel like she would have, you know, made a point out of going, you know, she would have said something. Because let's be real. The people in the Capitol would have known who she was. So if she said, I'm Lucy, you know, I'm Lucy well, Gray. Well, she ran away. And, I mean, she ends up in District 13 when she's from District 12. So she, and who knows? I mean, at that point, were the districts actually watching the Hunger Games? Not really. So 13 may very well have not known who she was when she just ran across the forest and showed up one day. And decided her name was whatever coin. I don't remember the first name. <laughs> President. <laughs> hey, um, you know what? That could be the sequel that we're talking about. And I know you're like, oh, I hope not. But maybe that's the sequel. Uh, I mean, if, if she is President Coin, maybe that's what comes next. It's the story of how she transforms District 13 into what it becomes in Mockingjay. Man. Which would be an interesting book. That, yeah, that would be more interesting than what we just read. <laughs> which, but... You would have to start somewhere to get there. Yeah. So, honestly, not like now that I'm seeing that they did have a cliffhanger at the end, seeing as where it could go if she is President Snow, I don't know. Personally, I just cracked up because I was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because I feel like she would have, I like. That kind of makes her animosity towards him make a little bit more sense, though, because she Coin obviously hates Snow in the books and in the movies but we don't really it's not know. explained yeah we don't really know why she's so like angry with him that would be such an amazing theory if it's true if it's true i will like lose it i really will that might be like um, the one redeeming thing of this book is that possibility <laughs> but there's other people going oh she's like the great 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 or no she's the great grandmother of katniss Oh, and I'm nah. like, I hope not. I don't think so. She's I too hope mean one to Katniss of... to be related to her. <laughs> not she's necessarily. Not that old. I mean, if if she were Snow's age, she'd be what, seventy, sixty, seventy, in yeah. the trilogy. Well, probably yeah, seventy That's like maybe. Grandma 80. age at most, like definitely not. But once again, grandma. living in a district where there's poverty and she can't be fed, they, their life expectancy can't be that long. But we know she lives to at least be 70 if they're the same age. Cause... If she lived that long. Like, she could have died. Well, yeah. But I'm, I'm operating under the theory that Coin is Lucy Gray. <laughs> well, I'm just saying there's no way she's related to Katniss Everdeen. And if she is, I will be shocked. Oh, agreed. Yeah. No, if I she's don't, like a grandmother. I don't think she and Katniss are related. But I do think that there's the possibility. I'm not ruling out that. She is Lucy Gray. So okay, but uh, any other conclusions? Overall, I, I I enjoyed the book because not necessarily for the plot or any particular one thing, but I enjoyed it because of the, you know, just the, the, I am blanking, the, the kind of like the writing prompt, the thought experiment, of what was this like before the pageantry, what 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 made people desire watching children fight and kill in an arena because that's something difficult to stomach so for the thought experiment i thought this was very successful it could have been fleshed out a little bit better like i I think she had a little bit more time to work on this uh it could have been a lot better but overall a lot shorter (laughs) okay overall if i if i were to give this like a letter grade i'd give it like a b 
not not like a B minus, but like just a good solid B. Like it, it it could have been a lot better, but it did the job that it was meant to do. And to be as a thought experiment for what happened in the past, and to kind of talk about how things changed over time. I think well, on when I rated it on Goodreads, I'm pretty sure I gave it like a three and a half out of five. <laughs> Which is pretty low for me. I'm I'm a generous rater. <laughs> Generally, my stuff is at least a four, if not a five. But I and this, I will say, I went into it with high hopes because I do love this series, and so that also affected my opinion of it. Is you know I held Hunger Games at a high bar, and this didn't meet it, and so that's disappointing. Whereas had I just been reading this without that background knowledge, maybe I would have been more interested i think it's because you read the the book series more recently i purposely did not read the hunger game series i mean i read it like year like years ago but i purposely did not read it in preparation for this uh this book coming out because i wanted to go into the book with completely fresh eyes because i knew with it being a prequel i didn't want to be burdened by expectations and I think that may have been the difference between the two of us. I don't regret doing it, though, because there were a lot of connections I don't think I would have made had I not reread those more recently. That, that's because you're not a pit of useless knowledge like I am. <laughs> like, I am great at trivia that's because true. I memorized random nonsense. Like, when you had Harry Potter trivia and you tried to cheat, <laughs> y'all, Lindsay treats. Well, Lindsay like will that? cheat at Harry Potter trivia and she'll message me, but of course, I don't look at my phone all day. So I'll be sitting there and it'll be three hours later. I'm like, oh, this is the answer. And Lindsay's like, well, thanks. We got the, we got it wrong because you didn't text back fast enough. Okay. That was pre binge mode. Like, now that I've listened <laughs> to the binge mode podcast, I mean, I already knew a lot about Harry Potter. I was not quite to your level, but I knew a lot about it. Now, after listening to that, I would say I'm a bona fide expert. So. Oh, okay. I think okay, I- y'all heard this. You know what? We we may have to cancel a podcast, and we'll just do like uh, a Zoom trivia, trivia live, a live or a Facebook something. We'll come up and we'll do a trivia and see who knows Harry Potter the best. All right. I Buckle I I am taking off the gauntlet and throwing it at your feet. Are you gonna pick it up? It's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put some Infinity Gems in that. Oh, what? <laughs> I was clearly making a reference to Merlin, and you go, Avengers on me. Like, what? what what's wrong with you? <laughs> I haven't watched Merlin in a while. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, y'all. Well, this has been a very, very fun night, so... But I'm ready to call it. What about you? Yeah, I'm ready. You want to tell us about <laughs> next month's book? <laughs> okay, so our book for August of 2020 is Eat, Pray, Love. One Women Search for Everything Across Italy, India, and Indonesia. Or more commonly known as Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> uh, let's see. In her early 30s, Elizabeth Gilbert had everything a modern American woman was supposed to want. A husband, country home, successful career. But instead of feeling happy and fulfilled, she was consumed by panic and confusion. The wise and rapturous book is a story of how she left behind all these outward marks of success and set out to explore three different aspects of her nature. 
against the backdrop of three different cultures, pleasure in Italy, devotion in India, and on the Indonesian island of Bali, a balance between worldly enjoyment and divine transcendence. Is this a nonfiction book? Uh, did you say do her, not remember. her name's Elizabeth, the main character? Elizabeth Gilbert. Right, but did you say Who that? wrote it? Yeah, so it's an, I, I think it's nonfiction. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll, we'll find we're, out. We're, we're both approaching this as <laughs> never reading the book. Yeah, so. neither of us have read it. And I will say, we, we picked this book back in like January, pre-COVID. So I was like, man, August, that's when I like to travel. Let's do a travel book. And now, of course, there's no travel happening. So really, this is probably going to make me but sad. But this might be anything. the best time to read it to live through the book. And also just remember what I'm missing out on. Like, I would love to be in Italy and Bali and wherever she's going. So it'll be good, though. I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, check us out next uh, next month when we do Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, where we'll be discussing not only the book, but also the film adaptation. Can't wait. We'll see y'all next time. See ya.